Hello, everybody, and welcome to the October 26, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I'm your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, if you follow Laura Ingram's Twitter account like I do, then first off, you're the reason why Prozac is profitable, and we all thank you. But besides that, you saw this on the 23rd, and it was news I just missed. I just missed on Friday, because I actually did have three relatively easy-to-get stories. I would have definitely talked about it otherwise. Uh, breaking news! President Trump just announced that hashtag Sudan will start to normalize ties with hashtag Israel, making it the third Arab state to do so. Now, Donald Trump has officially solved the Burles-Israeli conflict, the United Arab Emirates-Israeli conflict, and the Sudan-Israeli conflict. Are there any other conflicts between Israel and anything else for Donald Trump to solve? You know, I bet if there were, say, a 70-year-long conflict, um, literally right next to Israel, in fact, some would even say that the part that's conflicting with Israel is in of itself part of Israel, while others are saying that actually... Israel is illegitimate, and they are part of this other nation. I, I bet Donald Trump, if he were to ever discover such a hypothetical conflict, he would solve it immediately. That's how great he is, folks. That's how amazing he is regarding uh, solving conflicts with Israel. Yeah, you had three shots. You missed all of them. You missed. All of them, Mr. President. I cannot get over this. I cannot get over this. Um, but hey, hey. Sudan and Israel will now normalize ties. I assume that means they will trade with each other, uh, which this president really doesn't like when other nations do with us, of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I really can't get over how little I care about this. I'm only putting it in here. I guess I should probably finish reading uh, Laura Ingram's tweet. I forget to do that sometimes because I absolutely hate Laura Ingram. Like, so much. Oh my god, you have no idea how much I hate Laura Ingram. Like, she's up there with Tommy Lahren and Sean Hannity and, like, Tucker Carlson on people on Fox, on the Fox Propaganda Network, that I just absolutely cannot stand. Like, Carlson at least has an interesting story every now and again. Uh, last week, he ran an interesting segment on Phenomenon, that documentary about UFOs. Matt Walsh also ran a segment on it. That's how I found out about it. Um, but even then, 95% of the time, occasionally he'll say, well, Actually, this Republican screwed up. They'll encourage you to vote for them, of course. He'll never actually hold them accountable. He'll just throw token gestures at them, just like all the Fox populists do. Just like all the Fox populists do. You know, it was a big deal um, when, in 2012, tons of Republicans, like we're talking Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, the who's who of Republican commentators at the time, uh, we're calling out, and I've brought up this name before on the podcast, uh, they were calling out Todd Akin. And if you don't remember, Todd Akin is the guy who went on Fox News, he was running for 
I think it was Missouri Senate seat. Yeah, it was Claire McCaskill Senate seat at the time. And now that seat belongs to Josh Hawley. And he said that if a woman is legitimately raped, as he put it, she just cannot get pregnant. And that caused all this backlash. You really think, you really think all those people who called out Aiken didn't vote for him? I mean, okay, all the ones who called him out that were also in Missouri didn't vote for him. Like, you really think if Hannity were in Missouri or if Limbaugh were in Missouri or if O'Reilly were in Missouri, they wouldn't vote for him? No, that's the exact same way this works. You know, Tucker Carlson will call out Kelly Loeffler um, for her insider trading scandal, which I, I was commending him on. He did great on that. And Richard Burr and a few others. Of course, he'll also occasionally push the nonsense story that we covered at the same time that Pelosi's husband was doing the same thing by buying stocks that didn't crash quite as bad as the rest of the economy. Again, under the impression the Speaker of the House gets some sort of stock report, uh, which they objectively don't. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> she, he won't call you to vote for anyone else because that's not how it works. That's how the Fox Propaganda Network works, and that's also how MSNBC does this sometimes. They're basically the Democratic equivalent. Um, they'll call out their side on occasion, but they'll never say, and that's why you should vote them out. They'll never say that. You know why they never say that? Because that goes against the narrative. Because they're allowed to be kind of safe. They're allowed to go outside their comfort zone. I'm sorry, I misspoke when I said safe. They're allowed to go outside the comfort zone a little, open up viewers up to a few ideas. And that's only to convince suckers who don't know any better. Um, that's basically my law, and Laura Ingram has done this a couple of times, if my memory serves as well, because she is just so intolerable, and, oh my god, I cannot stand anything about Laura Ingram. You know, and mind you, her mind, or her image, like, morphs in my head with that judge girl who follows Hannity, whose name I can't even remember. Piero or something. I can't stand her either. But, like, it's basically just a contest between her, Ingram, and Coulter, and Tommy Lahren of who can be the most annoying Republican woman. I'm being dead serious. Or, if I wanted to be mean, I could say something like, who's taking menopause the worst? But first off, Tommy Lahren is way too young for that to make any sense. Um, and second off, that's just weird, okay? You don't need to imply they're going through menopause to explain why they're horrible human beings. Uh, uh, here's the rest of the Ingram tweet. I just ranted for like three minutes about how much I hate these people. And no other president has done as much to bring lasting peace in the Middle East. Jimmy Carter would like to have a word with you, ma'am. You know, Jimmy Carter literally won a Nobel Peace Prize. For the Camp David Accords between Israel and Egypt. Okay? That's how much he had done for the Middle East. If it weren't for those Camp David Accords, might I add, it's very likely either Israel or Egypt, probably Israel, truth be told, would be a parking lot right now. That's how, that's how serious that conflict was getting. Okay? No president has done as much as Donald Trump Jimmy Carter literally won a Nobel Peace Prize 
So, and that was back when it actually meant something, too. Before they just gave it to anyone, like Henry Kissinger. Well, no, Kissinger might have got it before. Um, but that was when it still had some value. That was between when Kissinger and Obama got it. We were just starting to realize it didn't mean anything, but we didn't quite know the full extent just yet. Uh, thank you, at real Donald Trump. Now, let me tell you, by the way, uh, when I look around at the civil unrest in our nation, buildings being burned by rioters, some of which are legitimately angry at our criminal justice system, others just want a TV. Okay, they just, most of them, in fact, just want a TV. But I look at all this distrust, and I look at all this anger and division, and it's the kind of thing the Fox Propaganda Network pretends to care about when it's convenient for them. You know, they screamed, Obama's a communist Muslim Nazi who's dividing the country. That's the worst kind of communist Muslim Nazi. <laughs> What's the Doug Stanfield bit? Was it Doug Stanfield? Probably not. I remember I saw this bit from a stand-up comedian once. Uh, it was, Obama's a Nazi, he wants health care forever, he's a communist, uh, Muslim Nazi. That's the worst kind of Nazi. <laughs> but now, I, I look around at all the civil unrest, people hate each other, we're more divided than ever. You see those NPC polls? Every day it feels like saying, we're more divided than ever, whatever that means. Race relations are worse than ever. That's another one of their favorites. Um, you know, there are Black Lives Matter protests, giant rallies. People are worried they're going to die of an airborne plague. And I think to myself all the time, you know what the president really needed to do to get my vote for re-election? He needed to normalize ties between Sudan and Israel. If he had done that, he would have been, like, a perfect leader. And what do you know? He did. I guess I got to endorse Donnie. I'm not going to. Eight days, by the way. We got to do it at the start of the show. Eight days until we can take our country back. And it's going to be amazing. No, seriously, sit down and think about it. This is one of the most unpopular incumbent presidents in American history. Um, he's supposed to be making his closing argument right now. And we're going to cover a little bit of his closing argument. And later today, don't don't worry. We have we have some news on the news about Hunter Biden and how it's just all collapsing in front of us as fast as possible. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> this is where he's supposed to be making his giant case. Now, around the same time, in 2004, the last Republican president, George W. Bush, uh, focused on issues like same-sex marriage, which was incredibly unpopular, and it actually helped him win re-election. Uh, terrorism was another big one at the time. Those were the kind of big issues of America at that point. Now, I, I don't get me wrong, I know there are tons of massive Zionists in the foreign policy sphere, in the U.S. and in some of these other areas of the world, you think the average person actually cares about Israel in the slightest. I'm being dead serious. There are, there are a decent amount of Jews who do. But no, there was even a poll a while ago that found that most American Jews don't feel all that attached to Israel specifically. 
maybe they feel attached to the ideas or to the Israel of the Old Testament of the Torah, but they don't feel attached to the current nation run by Benjamin Netanyahu, one of the most corrupt prime ministers, by the way, in the world right now. He's been indicted on corruption. I just want to point that out to everyone. That was a massive scandal, and we've all just kind of forgot about it, because, hey, that was last year, and even then it was the prime minister of Israel. So if you didn't even notice it, you're anti-Semitic. Uh, hashtag free Jonathan Polyard. There are a disturbing amount of people who spend their time trying to justify Jonathan Polyard, by the way. Like, I knew it was a big thing. I didn't realize it was that big of a thing. <laughs> the more people I find who spend as much time as possible defending Jonathan Polyard, the more amazed I get that he has just this big of a fan base. So, Trump should be making a week before the election, especially an election that's heavily based on early voting, where millions of people have already voted. And mind you, to my knowledge, there are only, I think, five or six states where you can change your ballot after early voting. And he should be campaigning, especially in the liberal-leaning ones, uh, to try and swing those as soon as possible. But no, 538 thinks he has a 1 in 8 chance of winning the election. That's half of what it was in 2016. 2016, they gave him a 1 in 4 chance. And if Biden wins, even states that are likely to go blue, but we aren't sure yet, like Pennsylvania or Michigan or Florida or Arizona, then he has over a 99% chance of getting the election. Trump has to win every state Biden is not is not going to win. He has to win every state that even has a chance of going for him, and then some. I saw this guy on MSNBC earlier today with a tablet uh, saying that we need to see who sweeps the Midwest. That's Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. Biden has over a 99% chance in two of those three states. He has, I think, about a 40% chance in Ohio. So this is where Trump should be making his big, giant, good old closing argument. And in, like, 04, okay, this might have been really effective when the big issue was terrorism, especially after 9-11. The average American really doesn't care about Israel. I mean, we haven't had any massive foreign terrorist attacks over the past four years. The president has specifically trained us, essentially, to not care about foreign nations with his form of nationalist isolationism and his big closing argument. Okay, he did this three days ago, so about 11 days before the election is when he did this. We're currently eight days away is, well, listen, I normalize relations between Israel and Sudan. You think most of people point to Sudan on a map? Or Israel on a map? Or, B or Bermudas on a map? Or the United Arab Emirates on a map? I doubt it, personally. I really do. I really do. No, they are worried about police reform. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about COVID. They're worried about so much more than not just foreign policy, that's too that's too broad. There were, because there are tons of foreign policy voters. A lot of them are also worried about China. Okay, that's the big thing right now, in large part stowed by the Trump administration. Or Russia, that's another one.
He didn't stew that one, though. That was the Dems. Israel is just kind of in the middle of all that. And truth be told, it's a sign of desperation that he's been doing all these Israeli peace deals in an election year. Because you know there were a chance to boost his re-election campaign with Zionists who have famously always favored Joe Biden, despite what Josh Hammer will tell you. Uh, Joe Biden has been described as the biggest friend of Israel in the U.S. He has said that if there were no Israel, the U.S. would need to create it, which if you look at history, we kind of did. He has said um, he is a self-described Zionist through and through. The only thing they really have on him is he supported the Iran deal. And I just don't think maybe he'll flip the hardcore Zionists. But most hardcore Zionists are evangelicals anyway, who convince themselves that Obama's the Antichrist and that they're going to destroy Israel. That's what they... Biden really doesn't have any old Zionists left after, the, after he was a huge factor in the Iran deal. So, no, no, this is a horrible idea on every account. And if the president is doing it so close to an election, either he's desperate and doesn't understand his own strategy, or he's just not paying attention. And either way, this is going to reflect very poorly on him, as it should. Anyway, uh, next story on, what day was it? Yesterday, Jack Pulsebeck, who you may remember from such classics as plagiarizing Jason Kessler. Yes, he plagiarized. Jason Kessler, of all people. Uh, he was also involved with Pizzagate. He claimed Rogue One was anti-Trump. Still no idea how he came to that conclusion. Well, the answer is he just made it up. Uh, he, circulated, or he circulated false information after Steve Scalise was shot in 2017. Tons of stuff. Like, this guy is the who's who of just, oh my god, he can't make up his mind over whether or not he likes Richard Spencer, went from calling him indispensable to a scumbag, got his career started, combined with Thrones fan blog, that's the kind of person Jack Pulsebeck is, uh, he's currently, I believe, an anchor on... Two Realities News. You may know it, or as you all know it, One America News. Despite the fact it's not in America or in reality, so I refuse to call it that, as a true patriot. Anyway, Pulsebeck tweeted, quote, Hey, at Joe Rogan, you interested in getting a look at Hunter's laptop? Happy to arrange. Now, mind you, first off, if he actually had Hunter Biden's uh, petri dish of a laptop, containing his corruption emails, his child pornography, uh, probably his money laundering, the formula the government used to create AIDS, and, and a statement that he planned to do the same after the election, as well as concrete evidence COVID-19 was created by China, specifically to spite us. Or I guess one America said it was created in North Carolina. I'm not making that up. Look that up if you don't believe me. They're absolutely... Insane. But Jack Pulsebeck supposedly has all of this evidence, okay? And, and you know, 
Uh, I'm not a big Michelle Catlin fan. Uh, that's a lie. I actually do really like her. It's just we disagree a lot. But she said it best. How often have you done this? I got a bombshell, but I'm not releasing it yet. Teehee shit. Pretty sure you pulled the same shit in 2016. Millions of Americans have already voted. If you actually had something, you would have shown it already. But you're a grifting hack. The first, like, hundred times I heard the word grifting, I thought it was drifting. I probably also said it once or twice as drifting. Now. So, we'll, we'll give Paul Sebeck the, evidence of the, the benefit of the doubt and assume that a week before the election, he has everything on Hunter Biden's laptop, which may I remind you is the petri dish of everything in that family that's wrong. Of corruption in general. Uh... However, however, he won't show it unless he's invited on Joe Rogan. Really? Really? That's, you're not going to show unless you're invited on Joe Rogan of all people? And no, no offense to Joe Rogan. I don't dislike Joe Rogan. Uh, he's the modern Larry King in many ways, in fact, and I have great respect for him. With that said, though, why Joe Rogan, of all people? Like, I expressed this at the time. I mean, I guess it's better than Wayne Allen Root. I guess it's better than Wayne Allen Root. That's the least I can say. Hey, at least you didn't pick Wayne Allen Root. One of the slimiest little people. One of the most unknown people. But still, like, you think of the conservative commentator sphere who would eat this story up, who would absolutely have a field day with this story if they saw it. And you think like Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, uh, National Review, Matt Drudge, again, Drudge isn't as big as he used to be, but it's still something. Uh, the post-millennial even. Or Ian Miles Chong, or Ryan Savendra, or anyone. Anyone under the sun, you could pick Joe Rogan. <laughs> Just Joe Rogan. Obviously Joe Rogan. Why not Joe Rogan of all people? Or how about James O'Keefe over at Project Veritas? He'd eat this up in half a second. Doesn't matter how untrue it is, he'd eat it up in half a second. No, he picks the guy. Not just, not with the widest audience, mind you, because in terms of numbers, I'm sorry, Limbaugh would still beat someone like Rogan, as would Hannity, as would Carlson, truth be told. Now, mind you, it's not the widest gap in the world, but it is still a decent gap. Um, that's just how the game works, you know? Limbaugh has like 20 million listeners a week, all of which are like in their 70s. But that's still a lot more people than who listen to Joe Rogan. No offense to Joe Rogan, of course. No, it's that he wants to get the most reliable giant quote source. Despite the fact most people kind of write off what a lot of guests say on Joe Rogan, unless they're already experts in the field. Okay? I mean, most people listen to Joe Rogan for the sake of entertainment and interviews, not really for big information. So, and I think that's kind of what Pulsebeck is 
hoping he would get. Has Paul Steck ever been on Joe Rogan? I'm gonna look this up real quick. Oh, no, it looks like he is not, so he just wants to get on Joe Rogan. Now, the same day Paul Steck tweeted this, uh, One American News, <laughs> and by One American News, I mean Jack Polstack <laughs> also took a little note for himself. That being, just, just read the tweet, just read the tweet. Scoop, DOJ sources tell at One American News Network that FBI dropped investigation of Hunter Biden laptop because they did not believe the repair shop owner story would hold up in high court. What gave it away? What gave it away? <laughs> Was it the fact that it's was it the fact that it seems like it was plagiarized from Ben Drowns? Just not obvious enough? This kid found a Majora's mask cartridge and on it was all the evidence of Hunter Biden's corruption. That's basically what we were expected to believe. That is basically what we were expected to believe. Although Mac Isaac provided them with evidence, no he didn't, provided them with hearsay. They found zero evidence of foreign involvement. This is what Ray has to get around as questions are being asked around his, his handling of this. December 2019 was just before the DNC primary votes began, and this would clearly have been a major factor. Ray never told White House any of this. So, to be clear, the FBI, the most nonpartisan, section of the government when it comes to the intelligence agencies, when it comes to criminal justice as well, uh, determined that this was utter nonsense in every way. In every way. They determined that this was utter nonsense and Pulsebeck couldn't handle this so he wants to go on Joe Rogan. I can't make this up. I genuinely cannot make this up. Nobody bought the Hunter Biden thing, except for a handful of conspiratorial Republicans who are still going on about Vince Faust and about Paula Jones, okay, and about Jennifer Flower. That's who the Hunter Biden story appealed to. Truth be told. And you know what? Now the narrative, in my mind, has officially collapsed. And let me tell you, it was a beautiful destruction. Three cheers all around to everyone who wasted the past, what, two, three weeks now on Hunter Biden? This was Donald Trump's big closing argument. Because remember, this was supposed to be Donald Trump's big final argument um, as to why we cannot elect Joe Biden. It's not that he's dementia-ridden. It's not that he's really tired. It's not that his policies are bad. It's that his son is a corrupt pedophile. The FBI just determined, no, there's no evidence of that. I think the first thing Joe Biden should do is, or the first thing Hunter Biden should do at least, is sue this administration for libel and for slander.
He should sue everyone who pushed this nonsense for, for committing slander. That's what this is. You're claiming a man is corrupt. You're claiming he's a pedophile. You're claiming he's all this stuff. And we covered the accusations on this podcast and how nonsense they were. And people still kept buying it. And you know what? Guess what? It was all wrong. Oh, boy. Yay. God bless MAGA. Let me tell you. God bless COG. God bless all of them. Anyway, last story for tonight. So the American Compass, Orin Cass's creation, ran this headline by Josh Hammer, so you know it's good. What to do after Big Tech's Pearl Harbor attack on the New York Post. Yeah, I mean... One was the biggest terrorist attack at the time, the biggest foreign attack at the time, uh, resulted in us getting into a war with literally the entire rest of the world. But at the same time, Twitter wouldn't allow the New York Post to publish a creepypasta about Hunter Biden. Um, so you know which one is really worse. In, in a way, what Twitter did is worse than Pearl Harbor. Because, yeah, Pearl Harbor killed real people, but what Twitter did inconvenienced Josh Hammer slightly and may have denied us the greatness that is a platform with one of the editors being so Harborami. And we just can't lose them. I hate you. I actually hate you right now. I really cannot stress... How obnoxious I find Josh Hammer to be. Out, out of all of them, he's the worst. Like, he's not just up there with the rest of them. He is, and I've talked about this before. I've written about him before. He is the kind of person, to steal what Harry Truman said about Richard Nixon, who can tell two lies out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. That's the kind of person Josh Hammer is. Uh, but here is what he had to write. As of this writing, the New York Post, the nation's fourth largest newspaper, has been locked out of its own Twitter account for almost two weeks. <gasps> what are we going to do without the New York Post? Anything but the New York Compost. It is not entirely obvious why, which is why you're about to go on and explain that it is entirely obvious why, and it's actually because of censorship. But what we do know is that, to date, neither Joe nor Hunter Biden has denied the veracity of the post-divulged Hunter files. Yes, he did. Joe Biden very clearly denied this. And then you all attacked him, because if Trump had said this, it would be seen as an attack on the free press. And then you all forgot that he said this. Um, because that's how this kind of thing works. That's how it always works. The most I can really do is give out the information and just hope somebody starts catching on to what sneezily little liars Josh Hammer and Orrin Cass and Will Chamberlain as well. He was one of the people who posted about this and then went on to pretend like it didn't exist. It literally went down the memory hole. It literally went down the memory hole. There's no other way to describe it. An email trope that spawned a joint Facebook-Twitter censorship spree against the Post. You just said 
You just said you didn't know why Twitter and Facebook were doing this. And now a sentence later, it's because of uh, Godzilla for NES, except with Hunter Biden. <laughs> I mean, really, really. And those who help promote the Post reporting, reporting, giant quotes, the FBI just dropped this. We covered that literally less than five minutes ago. No, they're afraid of the genius, that is, what the New York Post brings to the world. Much has already been written about the unprecedented nature of this big tech assault. I'm not even going to respond to that. A sordid corporate malfeasance that, as I wrote in my own post column about this imbrilago? Imbrilago? In what? What? Is that even a word? Okay, I'm looking this up on while recording. Because I, I genuinely have never heard. Did you get it from Liz Wheeler's World of, Word of the Day website? I'm being, I'm actually asking. Okay, an actually painful or embarrassing scandal. Uh, why, why didn't you just say scandal then? Why didn't you just say scandal then? Look, I have nothing against you using, um, more obscure words if it would take you 50 words to say it otherwise. You could have just said scandal. Please, for the love of God, someone take away Josh Hammer's thesaurus. He is desperately abusing it. Hashtag free Josh Hammer's thesaurus. Appears to any reasonable observer to be deliberate partisan attempt to quash a prospective October surprise Oh, you mean a piece of nonsense, or for that matter, a deliberate sabotage done by the opposing party. That's what Reagan actually did in 80, by the way. He made sure Carter couldn't release the hostages in Iran, if specifically so it would sink his chances of winning re-election, and then gave the Iranians a deal, and that was what Iran-Contra was. There's tons of evidence to this at this point. It's almost undeniable. And that's where the phrase October Surprise even came from in the first place. Uh, and elevate one particular presidential candidate over another. Progressive bias famously pervades the tech various algorithms, uh, something a great many of us have known for years. The difference, rather, seems to be embodied brazenness with which big tech now seems to tend to act, whereas previous misdeeds were oftentimes carried out in a more clandestine, I'm not even looking that up, Fashion, the Facebook, Twitter, Pearl Harbor attack against the Post. You actually said in the article, too. I could forgive you if it was like a stupid headline from the American Compass. Like that Joe Biden article about how we're giving um, subsidies and welfare to upper class people or middle class people. And it was called Congress is destroying the family or something. And that was one of those cases. No, you say it in the article. Against the Post represents the... Apology of a period of escalating public aggression. Um, so, that was a lot of words, and yet absolutely no point. You know, Hammer, I believe that people should only engage, that homo sapiens should only be permitted to engage in oral language when 
They have a dialectic purpose actually worth listening to. And by that I mean shut your yammering mouth unless you're actually going to say something. The reality we on the right face is straightforward. Conservatives must forge a viable path forward on big tech. Of course, that means nationalize the thing and take over the entire and destroy it from within because that's the entire plot. And I don't know if Hammer is in on it or is a useful idiot. He's best friends with Ted Cruz, though. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually helping plot it. But no, they want the destruction of the internet because they want you to be isolated. Because they want you to not have information. Because they want you to be ignorant of what's going on of the world around you. In large part because that makes it easier for foreign wars to happen. And Josh Hammer is a war hawk. Uh, make no mistake. And, and a hardcore Zionist. This is a man who, remember the journalist Saudi Arabia murdered... Uh, Jamal, I can never pronounce his last name. I can never pronounce his last name because it was so long in Arabic. Uh, no offense to Arabs, I cannot pronounce any of your last names. Okay, as a general rule, if you are Arabic, I cannot pronounce your last name. And no, his entire defense was, well, the guy was an anti-Semite, therefore he deserved death. Seriously, go check, go check Twitter if you don't believe me. That was his legitimate argument. I'm being dead serious. Now, Josh Hammer knows the best way to stop wars is to humanize the opposition, is to humanize the other side. That's why he doesn't like the internet. That's why he is. I don't know if I'd call him a paleocon because he is foreignly interventionist, but he at least will go with the paleocons on this Luddite ideology that's taken over our nation. Without any kind of vote, might I add. Um... Specifically because it helps him in the long run. It helps every established power in the long run. It does. And people like him claim that you for the little guy. The little guy likes Twitter. The little guy likes Facebook. The little guy likes Instagram. The little guy likes TikTok. They want to take that away. You know why they want to take it away? Because they don't care what the little guy thinks. They want to control what he thinks. They want him to be ignorant and uninformed about the world around him. They want him to be ignorant and isolated. That's a phrase I've been using. Richard Bovard has already done yeoman's work, including here at the Commons, to lay the broader theoretical foundation against the sort of corporate-first thinking. Again, so many buzzwords, so little time, and free market fundamentalism. I refer you to my previous comment. Do you think he's actually read any of the free market fundamentalists? Ayn Rand doesn't count, Josh. <laughs> I, can't, I know that's the only libertarian you know. Do you think he's ever read Milton Friedman or Murray Rothbard or F.A. Hayek or Henry Hazel or John Stossel or Thomas Sowell or any of them? No, if you ask me who the most influential libertarians are, say uh, Ayn Rand, the Koch Institute, Ayn Rand, Scrooge McDuck, Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, uh, Scrooge McDuck, probably. <laughs> and it just never ends. You just can't, you can't make this up. You can't make this up. Uh, that can lead big tech's reflexive defenders to oppose any political tinkering with the status quo. Capitalism, the great Ir Irving Crystal told us. Whoa, Josh! Whoa, you're scaring away all your paleocons. You scared them. Look, the paleocons are all... Uh, are all shivering in the corner because you just quoted uh, one of triple parentheses them. <laughs> yeah, Josh Hammer and Ben Shapiro is doing this right now with his book, Right Side of History. 
or well, that was last year, but you guys, that still fits into the kind of narrative. People like Josh Hammer, the former neocons, are kind of trying to rebrand into semi-paleocons, and it's not working in large part because they are part of what the paleocons would call triple parentheses them, if you catch my drift. Okay? Like, really? Really? Yeah, Josh Hammer, they'll think you're one of the good ones. Don't worry. Don't worry. And they hate you now that you just quoted. As someone who they think is a communist. Seriously, they think Irving Crystal's a communist. Even though, by the way, he was pro he was more pro-market than most of they are most of them are. Because he was a Trotskyist for once in his twenties. Um but no. And for that matter, Irving Crystal was a Jew, and they don't like that very much. They really don't. Yeah, anytime you want to lose like Pat Buchanan's or Nick Fuentes' interest. So cite a Jew and see how well that goes. I'm being dead serious. It deserves two, not three cheers, and is incumbent upon conservatives to resist the twin siren songs of rationalist abstraction and dogmatic laissez-faire purism. Jesus Christ, get to a point. Preferring instead a more humble epistemology oriented to the timeless ends of politics. Nor, of course, is... That sentence was literally meaningless. That was literally meaningless. Um, epistemology, by the way, is how you connect kind of politics and real-life philosophy. So essentially, what he's saying is, preferring instead a more humble combination of politics and real-life philosophy oriented to the timeless ends of politics... That is just one of, like, a hundred things throughout this column. Because Josh Hammer, and this is why I cannot stand him. I genuinely cannot stand him. He writes these long paragraphs where he just doesn't say anything. We've covered it before. He can write for a hundred words and just use one. That's the one thing him and Ayn Rand have in common. It's never use one word when 100 will do. Nor, of course, is there any morally relevant principle by which we conservatives are forced to dutifully submit our own political irrelevance. Oh boy, do I wish you'd submit your own political irrelevance. That would be so great for me, Josh Hammer. Uh, most tangible conservative policy response to meditizing... Met is that even a word? Jesus, take away your word of the day calendar at all cost. Big tech threats have centered around Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, on the other hand, and antitrust, on the other hand. Leading opponents of big tech in both chambers of Congress, such as Senator Josh Hawley and Representative Ken Buck, often focus on this legislative terrain. And the Commons has certainly played a constructive role in advancing the, the conversation surrounding both policy discussion. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. I cannot stand reading this for any longer, and we're only, like, halfway through. Honestly, this, this is unbearable. I'm sorry. This is honestly unbearable. 
Um, Josh Hammer is just one of the most intolerable people on the face of conservatism right now. And you know he's going to be one of the big guys in the next couple decades. You know you're going to see this guy on every single show uh, coming up real soon. I'm surprised it's not already the case. He's a rising star that hopefully will supernova into a black hole and suck up everything around it real soon. That's our show, and good night.